guys. You're listening to Mama Knows Podcast with your host, Nina Cavajola, aka Balconina. Join in weekly as she walks alongside you to navigate topics around motherhood, mental health, self-love, and relationships. The good, bad, and funny. Raise your hand if you had a good relationship with your parents in high school as far as emotional and mental health. I'm not raising my hand. (laughs) My mom and I didn't get close until I was in my 20s. In high school, I didn't feel I was very close to my mom. Obviously, there's that typical teen behavior where you just closed off and you want nothing to do with your parents, but it doesn't have to be that way. And today I have Julia here with us who is a teacher, a high school teacher, and she specifically teaches counseling and mental health for high school students. It is an elective course, but she has a lot of amazing information for parents of teens and even parents of littles who want to nurture their relationship with their kids so that when they are teens, you feel very strong and connected as a family. This is also for teachers and anyone that's sending their kids off to school. This is a great episode, so let's dive in. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. I'm so excited to talk about mental health in adolescence because I honestly don't know much about it. And I feel like when I was in high school, my mental health was probably just a hot mess. (laughs) My mom literally would just be like, you're fine. You're fine. Or like I would try to talk to her about stuff and the relationship just was not strong. And reading about you a little bit, I love that you teach a course to high schoolers about mental health. So this is freaking incredible. I'm excited for you to talk to the parents with teens, but also I think it's important for parents with littles to hear all this. Um, So before we dive into all the nitty gritty, let us know who you are and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, Well, thank you so much for having me. I love the podcast and I've been following along for a long time. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, So my name is Julia McLannan. teach high school in a smallish town in North Carolina. And um, my husband and I teach at the same high school. So that's fun. The kids always love that. And I have two kids. I have a three and a half year old and a three month old. He'll be three months tomorrow. And they're both boys. So um, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm a mom, a wife. My husband is the head baseball coach at our school. So we have a lot of baseball time. (laughs) And then I like one of my passions is mental health and resilience in really everyone, but especially the population that I teach and young children, since that's what I have at home um, and myself so that I can be better for them. I love that. So tell me a little bit about the course that you teach, specifically the, it had a name. You told me. Counseling and mental health is the name of it. Yeah. That's literally like, so is it an elective or? Yes. Okay. So I am, so I feel, I, like I, the, I feel like it needs to be mandatory. I know, I know. <laughs> so I'm in the CTE department, career and technical education. And it used to be a long time ago that those were like only certain kids got tracked into those courses if they weren't going to go to a four-year degree school. But now it's an elective open for anybody and it's just life skills courses. So like when people are always like cringe when people are like, oh, I wish that schools had like a class that taught you about your taxes or how to cook. And I'm like, we do have those. (laughs) Like kids just have to sign up for them. 
So um, anyway, my class is called Counseling and Mental Health, and it is a new, a pretty new course for North Carolina. We just adopted it, I think, two years ago, and last year was my first year teaching it. And there's a level one and a level two. The level one focuses mostly on relationships across the lifespan and uh, basic coping skills and strategies, emotional literacy. And then the level two gets more into like diagnoses and the DSM-5. And it's for students technically who would like to become Mm -hmm. practitioners in counseling and mental health. But the first level especially is just great for anybody. Yeah. No, man, I wish something like that was mandatory in high school. I definitely think now in this day and age, I just think it's so important, especially for kids in high school right now. So I want to talk about specifically the kids that you encounter as a high school teacher. What are some of the things in terms of mental health that stand out to you, such as patterns, trends, things that you notice across the board that are like, oh yeah, this is a definitely an adolescent mental health thing. Yeah. So um, the numbers are really clear. Like if you look at the latest youth risk behavior um, survey data, there is a huge increase in anxiety and depression among our young people. And I see that I've been teaching for almost 12 years. And in that time span, I have seen such an increase in especially anxiety in the young people that I teach. Um, I mean, teens have always been teens. Like humanity doesn't really change, but the world changes around us. And so there are new patterns and trends all the time. And especially with social media, I think that like, I don't know what I'm going to do when my kids get to be that age. Um, because I think social media is such a detriment to our young people and it can be so wonderful, but it can be so harmful. And we talk about that a lot. I talk about that a lot with my kids, but my students, So yeah, trends of anxiety and depression for sure. I think that as always, they're trying to figure out who they are, but they have so much information overload from every angle that that's becoming harder and harder for them. And they're so impressionable. The thing that kids say the most to me that I see time and time again. So like on the first day of school, I always ask, they do a little Google survey and I say, what's one thing that you want me to know as your teacher? And they always say, I just want you to be understanding. I just want, I wish that teachers would just understand. I want someone who's understanding, Uh, which is always funny to me because I'm like, well, of course I will be understanding, right? But they don't feel that they have that. And I think providing that for them is a huge benefit because I do see the anxiety, the depression, the stress of being a young person. I don't, you mentioned your relationship with your mom when you were younger. And with my mom, I like one of my biggest fights with her was about the SAT or something. And she was saying like, it's not that hard, you know, like you don't have it that hard. And I remember just blowing up at her and being like, you have no idea. Things were different for you when you were my age. You didn't have to take these tests. You didn't have to get all these good grades. It wasn't so hard to get into school for you. Um, you know, I, I like, we blew up. And it's so much harder now than it was then for me. It's so hard for these kids now. And they do have so much pressure on them. And I think that they are, it's like crushing them a little bit. But even like, even thinking about when somebody says to you, it's, it's not that hard thinking about the receiving person. um, It's, it is hard because when you're in that moment, it feels like that's what's consuming you. And when you're a teenager, you're 
prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed and you're you're basically back to like toddlerhood in that yeah. age is from what I've read, right? Like yes. I've actually yes. read that teens resort back to like that toddler thinking. Yeah, we compare um, them a lot in development. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, great. Toddlers times two, except one's yeah. way bigger. With so, a stronger will and more independence. Yeah. I feel like in that high school age, you do feel like everything is so big. Like even though to our parents, it seems so little, but to us, it's so big. It's so big to fit in. It's so big to like, like wear the clothes that you want to wear, or, you know, like those things are just so important. And I think that it is common that parents are like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And so I try to remember as a teacher and as a parent now, and I've said this to my husband before with our little kids. So just like you would think for a small child, like this is literally the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Like him not being able to have an ice cream bar for breakfast is literally the worst thing that is happening to him in his little life so far. Mm -hmm. And so with the teenagers, it's like, just because they don't have a mortgage to pay, just because they don't have, you know, fam, maybe like the grown up family stressors that we think of a marriage to keep intact or whatever it might be. Those are still the biggest things that have ever happened to them. And some of them are dealing with really big problems as well at home that we know nothing about. So as the adults to try to remember, like, okay, let me put this in perspective, like put my stuff aside. Yeah, this is a big deal for them. And how can I comfort them through it and let them know that I'm here, that I understand. And even if I can't fix it, and even if they still have to do this thing, that's hard, that I understand and that I'm here, just like we do for our small children. I love that. And as far as speaking to parents now, when you're talking to a parent and say a group of parents, what would you tell them are some red flags or warning signs of their child's behavior that you've noticed as a teacher or something that parents should be looking out for at home? Because I think that teens, and correct me if I'm wrong, are very good at just shutting themselves off and not talking to their parents. And they think their parents are the most annoying people in the world. Like I've been there, done that. So what do you say to parents? Like, what are the red flags and when do you need to intervene? So uh, this question is always interesting for me because so many of the red flags are like, well, that could just be someone being a teenager, right? Like, like you just said, um, they do kind of disconnect. They do withdraw. Sometimes they do want to be alone. And so the biggest thing, again, just like we would say with the small children or kind of with any population is looking for those really big changes in behavior. So if you have a teen that is really bubbly and outgoing and full of life or, um, you know, very social, and then all of a sudden they are retreating to their room, not talking to you, not going out with friends, that would be a big red flag for me. Um, If I have a student or a child who is shy already, that is starting to go out and taking part in like risky behaviors, um, and parents may not know that, then that would be a red flag. Um, And that's why I think it's important to have those open conversations and to be as close as we can to our children so that we do know what they're up to, where they are, um, you know, having security measures in place to know where they are, what they're doing, what they're doing on their phones and stuff like that. Um, But a big change in behavior. If you notice a change in eating patterns, even, or sleeping patterns, um, because, you know, when we're really stressed and we have a lot of cortisol, we are um, not sleeping well. 
And so that can be a big sign. And and again, teenagers stay up until my students will be like, I was up until 3 a.m. last night doing whatever. And I'm like, how can you live like that? But mm-hmm. they do. So yeah, big, big changes in behavior, um, outbursts. And then of course, like more serious signs would be the classic warning signs for like self-harm or suicide, um, like giving big items away, prized possessions, making comments about wanting to not be here anymore. And those kinds of things would of course be like an immediate red flag. We're going to get some help. Mm -hmm. And what would, what would a parent do? Like, how do you, how would I bring that up to my kid? If I'm starting to notice these trends, do I talk to my kid first? Do I talk to a teacher? Who do I talk to? I feel like they spend a lot of time at school. So Mm -hmm. talk to a counselor. Yeah. So a lot of times, I think a lot of times the teachers may have a good idea of these things because they do spend a lot of time with us. Um, I do every other Friday in my class, I do a free write Friday. And so for their warm up in at the beginning of class, they type whatever they want to me. It's kind of like an open letter to me. And I always respond to them on a messaging app that we have. Um, and it takes a little bit of time, but that's the best way that I've gotten to know my students. And so I learned so many things about them that way. And then it's easier for me to see like, Hey, are you okay? Are you doing all right? I can always connect you with your counselor. Do I need to call home and talk to your parents about this? Um, and sometimes the parents don't know. And so I think, and they don't know what to do. Like you said, like, what do we do? We see these red flags. Um, and so I think reaching out to the school is a great first step and talking to your child, um, you know, saying, Hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. You seem X, Y, Z, or you just don't seem quite like yourself. You know, you can come to me with anything, right? You know, you can talk to me about what's bothering you. Is everything okay at school? Is there anything going on with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Um, you know, just checking in with your kid. And when it comes to time to like actually take some action steps, it would be like an email to the counselor, please meet with my child, an email to the teachers, please watch out for my child. Um, and getting that child, the counselor at school can get outside resources, like if they need therapy once a week or whatever it might be, or in something more intensive, mm-hmm. the school has all of those resources. So it's a great place to start because you don't always know where to turn to for help. Um, and if it's like an emergent situation, then the school also has resources for places that you know, I mean, mental hospitals and places like that, that can keep the kids and help them work through stuff. And you have my wheels turning here about this email thing. So would you say that parents of younger, like maybe let's say preteens or maybe even just like elementary school age, would it be smart to start in implementing something like a communication method that is similar to, like you said, you have them free write to you? Um, for parents who maybe don't know how to approach their kids or their kids aren't really like in the in the zone to be chatting with mom about all these big things, would you recommend that parents start early on like journaling with their kids or writing emails? Are emails even cool with kids? I don't know. Kids, kids definitely <laughs> Is don't email. Like texting? Is there an app for this? Yeah, kids are into Snapchat and that's about it right now. Oh God, but um, we don't yeah, want don't, them on Snapchat. I get emails all the time that it's just like, hey, can you XYZ? Thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think journaling is a great idea. I, it's kind of whatever works for your family. Like I love to journal. I love to write. My husband would never, you know, like that's just not his thing. Right. Um, and so 
you know, there's lots of things you can do. You can write letters to your children, you know, and that can be a tradition that you do every birthday or every month or whatever. You can journal back and forth with your kids. Um, but just, I think having conversations, some of my, my, I was very close with my mom in high school and my dad. And to me, when we were in the car having conversations, that was, that was, the best time for us to communicate. And I was very into music. I went through my big emo phase. Um, I graduated high school in 2005. So I was like right at the peak of all the emo music. And so I remember like playing songs for my parents in the car and being like, listen to the lyrics, you know, or I'd be like, you're not listening. We have to rewind it. You were talking. Um, but like, that was my way of communicating with them. Like, this is something I'm feeling. This is an easy way for me to teach you yeah. what I'm feeling without having to talk to my mom, you know, yeah. like, so I think, yeah. yeah, I definitely can as a mom of a five-year-old who is very emotional and deep feeling since literally the moment he could babble and speak, we had, we would have full-blown conversations in the car. And I think even now I feel like when he's tied down or like in, can't go play, can't be distracted, yeah. like in a car or I don't know, somewhere where he's not distracted. I feel like our best conversations happen. He asks me the deepest questions and sometimes he asks like the craziest questions. Mom, why don't the airplane, just like weird things like that I literally <laughs> would have no idea about. So I just pull shit out of my ass. But I love the car thing. And I think that speaking of teens, obviously we can start implementing that now with your teens who, for the parents that are listening with teens. But I want to talk about what are some things that parents of littles can do to start preparing them for a healthy, like mental health and resilient emotional relationship, not only with their parents, but with themselves as they get into their teens. And yeah. then, and then of course, I also want to talk about um, what we can do if it's too late. Like we already have a teen. So let's talk about littles and then we'll okay. talk about teens. Okay. Um, I like that you said when he's like, when he can't go anywhere um, and your children are so precious, but you said like when he's kind of strapped down in the car. And I, I remember also my parents having like big conversations with me in the car where I was like, I'm trapped. I can't go anywhere. Like this is what they wanted all along. <laughs> um, but yeah. So I think for, for little parents who have little children at home, um, I think a great place to start is educating ourselves. And, you know, we are growing up, we are parenting in the age of conscious parenting and gentle parenting. And I think the majority of us parents right now are trying to do that, but education is always the first step. And that would be my, my advice for parents of teens as well. So reading up on how to be a good parent, reading up on how to, how to fix and understand my own emotions. There's a really great book called Permission to Feel by Dr. Mark Brackett. I love that book. I think that's a great place to start. It's all about the science behind emotions. And for me, when we take away, there's there are such a stigma about mental health, right? Like people don't want to talk about it. They don't know how to talk about it. I love to talk about it. But once we break away that like weirdness and uncomfortableness, it's just science. It's literally our brain. It's the chemistry in our body. Our body and our brain are connected. And once we can accept that and start to work with it, then we can understand our children better too. Um, and my son's pediatrician just said to me, 
Um, cause we just had a new baby and my other son is three and a half. And he said, that's a really good age gap. Um, and he said, I said, yeah, we're seeing some challenging behavior in our older son, but he's being, he's doing pretty good. And my, the doctor said, you know, this is the age where the older generation would have started spanking their kids. And we know now that this is just development. This is, you know, they don't understand. They can't understand yet bigger picture things. And so we just have to kind of sit with them through that. And the more we know about children and how they develop, the better we are equipped to deal with that. So I teach a child development and early childhood class also. And that's what I always tell my students, like one day you'll be a parent or you'll be a babysitter or an aunt or an uncle or whatever. And if you don't know what children can do at certain ages, then there's going to be a big problem and a disconnect between you. Yeah. I feel like child development classes need to be taught to people who want to have babies. Yeah. <laughs> like, so not those of like, us now, like some of us have never had those, that information. And so yeah. finding accounts that are helpful for that big little feelings is a great account that I love to follow on Instagram, but just like educational parenting accounts, Peds doc talk is another one that I love, but yeah. And talking to little kids about their emotions, they're doing that at school already in the preschools and in the elementary schools, at least they are here in North Carolina. They're doing social and emotional learning and teaching kids like my son in his preschool class, they do smell the flower and they hold up their finger and the candle. And then blow out the candle. Yeah, like a, a big deep breath and I'll... I use that on my 70-year-old ER patients and it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when or they're like freaking they're, out. They're like, like... Yeah, so, okay. I love that talking about emotions is a big one early on with kids welcoming their emotions. And I love that you said that just understanding their development is crucial. And for me personally... It's I I personally need to know the science about everything because that's just mm-hmm. who I am. But I I always come back when when my son, typically it's my son, but now my two and a half almost two and a half year old is starting to have those like big feelings. I always remind myself. Like, I'll get annoyed at first, but then I remind myself, okay, like this is he developmentally cannot do right. what I'm I'm expecting of him, and his whatever behavior is challenging to me, but it's something that's so real to him and it's something that he can't control. And how can I help him? I always see it as like, how can I help him through this? But a lot of times for most of us, unless you've done the work yourself, it's really hard for you to help someone through something because you're struggling with it yourself. So all your alarm bells are going off in your own head. Yeah. So those are the times where I have to just like, I literally take, I smell the flower and blow out the candle myself. And I'm like, okay, my child needs help. He's telling me something, right? Like what is, what is he trying to communicate with his behavior? So, yeah. yeah. And I think there's just the stigma and not, not so much anymore, but the stigma that kids are just bad and they want to be bad and they're doing it on purpose and they're acting out, but none of that is true. That is the furthest from the truth. So I think that's so important to know. Um, And same with teens, right? Like when there certain behaviors are happening that are undesirable for us, it's, it's usually like a seek for help or I, you know, they need something. Right. So um, say you're a parent who already parented the way they didn't want to. Um, the way that was undesirable to them, but they didn't know better. And they have teens now and they don't have good relationship with their teens and they don't have this like welcoming emotional relationship. How, what would you say to those parents? How can they 
start building a relationship with their teens and being a little bit more emotionally accepting? So it's never too late. That's what I would first say. Uh, we know that, you know, children's brains, the way that they're, they are built, um, we're building their brains all the time as they're small. And after a certain age, it is a little bit harder to reconstruct their brains, but it's not impossible. Uh, and so when they're already in their teens and they, it is harder, but not impossible for you to change your relationship with them if you don't already have a good one. And you have to start small and it takes time. So you have to be patient. And I would say, try small things. You know, it's going to surprise them probably if you've never done this before. It'll surprise them for them to get in the car after school and for you to say, hey, I'd love to talk about your day. Did anything happen that really made you happy? Or did anything happen that really got you down? Um, or I would suggest for parents to show that vulnerability with their children. So one thing I think makes a big difference with my students is that I share a lot about my life with them. And I share about my struggles. I, you know, I, we talk about relationships. So I tell them about like past relationships that I've had with friends, with boyfriends, whatever. And it makes them like, oh, relatable. Well, she's, and she's talking about that. So maybe I can trust her with my thing too. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for parents. You know, I think when I was growing up, a lot of times I wanted my, I really wanted to see my parents as people who made mistakes too. Mm -hmm. Like hey, when I was a teen, guess what? I did this. I made a huge mistake and that's why I don't want you to do it. Right. Rather than just always saying, you can't do this. You can't do that. And my parents were really good about that, but my mom was never wrong. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I literally was like, I, we, Tom and I tell our kids all the time when we're wrong or when we did something that was out of line. And we explain to them, we, we do this at dinner and we also do in the car too. But I think I love that you bring that up because I think it makes you vulnerable, but mm -hmm. it also makes you feel relatable and it shows empathy. It shows that you're yeah. like, I get it. Like it's it hard. opens the pathways for communication for a teen who is so not willing to do that naturally, maybe with their own parents for you to be like, Hey, let me tell you what happened in my day. It was so upsetting. It sucked. I was so mad at this person, blah, blah, blah. Even something as simple as that could make your teen be like, oh, the same thing happened. This girl in my class, she's so annoying, you know? And then, you know, something you never would have known about your kid before. Yeah. And maybe ask them like, how do you think I should have handled this? Yes. Asking for their advice. Like, I think that's so great. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Teens yeah. love. Yeah. Teens love to feel like important. I remember, like in I remember feeling that. Yes. Yeah. Just like a toddler. <laughs> I mean, it is so similar and so much is going on with their brains too in adolescence. But um, I, I think, yeah, like being, it doesn't have to be, I think sometimes we think of like, okay, I've really messed up as a parent. And now I'm going to have to like, we need to start going to family therapy. We need to have a huge intervention. We have to sit down and have this big talk and say, I'm so sorry for all these things I've done. Let's make a change. And that can happen. But the likelihood of that happening, like that's not as realistic as, Hey, let's talk about our days. We're stuck in the car. Let's just talk. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, or, Hey, let's go catch a movie or we're going to start doing family game night every Saturday night or Sunday night, you know, little things like that to build the relationship. And it over time, I think that those big changes occur. I love it. Start with, it's just a simple conversation and they're probably going to get pushback. They're probably going to oh, yeah. be like, mom, you're mm -hmm. annoying. I don't want to talk yeah. about this. <laughs> or like, I'm just going to put in my headphones and ignore you. Like you're a nerd, but 
you know, it's your kid. Like you're yeah. never give up, you know, it's never too late, never give up. And then I think it's okay too to, to honestly ask your child, like, what can I do? What, you know, just like I ask my kids, what is, what would you like me to know? My yeah. students, what would you like me to know? What can I do for you? Mm-hmm. Um, because no one's asking them that no one's asking them that, you know, they feel like their needs don't matter. So for you to say like, how can I be a better parent to you? Mm-hmm. That's huge. It. Yeah. I love it. Just feeling like a team instead of just a kid. What are some tips that you have for teachers in the classrooms? Like no matter what class they're teaching, what are some tips you can give to teachers right now that they can use to help open that relationship with emotional and mental health within their classroom for everyone? So this is like my favorite thing to talk about because we can all do it. Like all teachers doesn't matter what you teach. You can teach math, science, social studies, small kids, big kids. It doesn't matter. Making them feel like they matter, making them feel like they are celebrated in your classroom is the number one thing. And there are so many little ways that we can do that. So I mentioned my free rights earlier. That's one thing that I've done since the beginning of time. Like it started off on paper and pencil and I would write back and we would keep notes back and forth to each other. And then it became the internet age more so. Um, And now we do it on Google Forms and a messaging app. But the free rights have been, my kids love them. They'll be like, oh, have I got a story to tell you, Miss McClannan? Like, just wait till we get to Friday. Um, So that one's easy. Um, Saying their names, like something as simple as, Hey, Nina, how are you today? Oh, how did your test go yesterday? Some of them are not hearing their name spoken to them until they get home or maybe not at all, you know, throughout the whole day. And that sounds like this is where I get really cheesy because it sounds cheesy, but like your name is who you are. It's what you have. It's your identity, right? And so just something as simple as I say every kid's name when they walk through my classroom every day. That's so impressive. I I cannot remember people's names. I can barely remember my coworkers. Yes. And teachers (laughs) have trouble with that too. Like I am good with names, but even if it takes you three weeks where you have to play name games, I always tell my students on the first day, it's so important for me to know your name. So Mm -hmm. please don't let me mess it up. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Please bear with me as I forget it, you know, over these next couple of weeks or whatever. But um, yeah, saying their names. um, I think I do like a 30 minute on Friday, we'll do feel good Friday at the last 30 minutes of class, or you could do mindful Monday or thoughtful Tuesday. It doesn't matter. But like we take 30 minutes in class to put class stuff away, like put the classwork away, pack up, whatever. And we will go out in the courtyard and blow bubbles and blow our worries away. Or we will um, do desk yoga, like a six minute desk yoga video at their desks, or we'll practice breathing together. Now you have to have a really good community in your classroom to do those things. But if you are comfortable, those are some things you can do to like help their mental health and build that connection between you of like, this is a really safe space. Mm. Another thing I do that I think is easy is I check on kids every single day if they're out. So we have a messaging app. Um, it's called Remind. And whenever I'm taking attendance that morning or whatever class period it is, I immediately, while the kids are doing their warm up, go to my phone and message whoever is out. Hey, Sarah, I noticed you're not here today. I hope everything's okay. Hey, are, are you feeling well? We missed you yesterday as well. I just wanted to check in on you again. And it gets to a point where kids will message me in the morning and say, Hey, Miss McLennan, I missed the bus. I won't be there. I'll be late. My mom has to bring me because they know that I'm going to miss them if they're gone. And I think just knowing 
I mean, literally it has nothing to do with curriculum, but like just knowing that someone is there waiting for you and wanting you to be there makes a huge difference in building relationships with your students. Yeah. And, and sometimes simple. that's all they have too. Like yeah. the kids that have broken homes, like yeah. the only home they have. I'm going to get all emotional. I know me too. I'm like trying <laughs> not to cry. <laughs> I'm like trying to don't cry. Um, yeah. Sometimes all they have is their teachers and their school. So yeah. that's so important that the, I mean, teachers have such an important job and it's such a heavy load to carry too as a human yeah. like it's you have your own yes yeah, so you have your own family you have two little kids and then you have all these other kids that you also care about so yeah thank and you I for do. what I mean, you I do them. yeah uh, but Julia thank you so much for all that I think that was such an important topic and I love that we're putting it out there I feel like we could talk about it all day oh, but yeah. I certainly can yeah, me too. You know, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> this is what the podcast is about, literally. So uh, tell us where we can find you, how we can get a hold of you, where where you are on socials. So I am mostly just on Instagram. My handle is Max Out Happy, and I actually had a blog a few several years ago that I started, and so that was the name of my blog, and I've just kept it That's as cute, my. And I like it. Social handles, yeah, just trying to like maximize our happiness. I love it. We can right like. So anyway, my tagline used to be like surviving by the grace of drive-thrus and dry shampoo. But <laughs> so now I'm just trying to make it a place. I actually took a long hiatus from the account. I've been, you know, trying to be a mom and a teacher and all the things, but um, I'm trying to make it a, just a happy place for moms and where I can talk about education, mental health and motherhood, because those are the things in my life that I'm most passionate about. And so you can find me there. And that's, I mean, that's really about it. That's where I'm the most active. Awesome. I will link all that below. I will link, I, I think, what was that book that you oh, said? It is Permission to Feel. Okay. I'll link that below too. Yes, Permission to Feel, uh, Max Out Happy. Julia, yeah. you're awesome. I appreciate you and I hope you have the best school year ever. Oh, thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> Thanks for having me. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give me some fast stars on Spotify. Follow on socials, come say hi. And if you enjoyed this episode, let me know that you want more like this and let's chat next time.